Welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Show. I'm Simon, over there, and by over there, I mean literally on the other side of the world. <laughs> we should How actually, many thousands of miles away do you think we are? We should look that up, and also, like, are we on opposite sides of the world? It's got to be pretty close. No, I mean, I, maybe we're like a third of a world away. No, I bet, I bet, because, well, that's true, I guess, because I think, um, I actually think, like, India, Dhruv in India is probably more exact opposite. From you, yeah, maybe. for me. I'm exactly for opposite me. Australia. Really? If I left my home now, I could be at your house. Um, and I'm assuming your house is the city of Seattle, because that's the nearest big <laughs> city that I could think of. Sure. Uh, it would be 14 hours and 10 minutes, according to, uh, really? according to Google Maps. And a distance of... Uh, it doesn't tell me. Oh, if I, if I walked? <laughs> Sorry, we could not calculate walking directions from Prague to Seattle, Washington. <laughs> uh, um... So, what are we talking about in today's episode? Oh, oh unless uh, you've got unless you've got that distance right there in front of you. Yeah, I was just looking at that. No, I do not though. But yeah, yeah, I think you're about right. Probably about a third to half the world away. Hmm. A third feels right. Yeah. If I if I zoom out on the Google Maps real far, yeah, I reckon I reckon a third. India India definitely is like the I think almost straight through because if you rotate the little globe up from india it's almost straight through for me i think so there you go for people who don't know Drew is our um our ad guy who sells who sells our ads so he's the reason you get little interruptions from companies in these podcasts <laughs> but he's great also he makes the, it all possible exactly i was just gonna say also the reason we can do the podcast absolutely <laughs> this is this is fun I, i'm I, it seems about the same distance india is probably closer to me than mm -hmm. you are mm -hmm. yeah i think india is like maybe a eight eight hour flight whereas you're further mm -hmm. hmm. there you go fun times yes what's on the docket for today what are we talking about we're going to talk a lot about monopoly which is going to be more fun than that sounds because you know monopoly uh, monopoly I is like a game monopoly. really most people hate monopoly i feel like well i i it always sounds fun and then you end up hating everyone you play it with. But yeah. it is fun while you're playing. It's and, quite exciting. Yeah, and we're going to get into why, number one, the two big complaints about Monopoly are one, you end up just someone flipping over the board and angry. Uh, and number yeah. two is that it takes forever to finish. And it, it turns does. out one of the things is, is if anyone would ever actually bother to, to read the rule book, they would see that the game actually shouldn't take very long at all. And, and some of the things that make people really angry about it are not actually in the rules. It's just thing, it's like these house rules that people have come up with and then nobody bothers to ever actually, you know, go back and read the rules and be like, oh wait, that's not actually how the game is supposed to be played at all. <laughs> Did you know that this is our most popular video on the YouTube channel? Really? The one about what's actually supposed to happen when you land on free parking. Oh, that was from like a few years, today, right? a few years ago. Huh? A couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, um, it's been a while. It's got like 7 million views or no something. No way. That's yeah, crazy. Let me check that right now. Yeah. And we'll also, What's I guess, actually... that, that'll be coming at the end of this one, but the, uh, the, we'll start off uh, looking at sort of where, why, why are the, the game tokens the way they are? You know, like the little, the dog and, you know, the car and stuff. Why, why, why did they pick these things? And then we'll also get into the, in, who invented Monopoly. And uh, it's not actually who, uh, who a lot of people say is, is who invented it. Um, so it's kind of an interesting backstory to it. And then, and then we'll get into the rules that everyone, how everyone plays it wrong and, and stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to it. The figures on that Monopoly video, mm -hmm. 6.57 million views wow. two years ago. That's a lot of views. Yeah. Um, it must, it must still get views then to, to just keep going. Cause I think, I, I think I would have noticed if we got like 6 million views in a month or something. 
Yeah, like uh, we did that video recently about what happens to the bodies yeah. uh, after wars. They got like 2.5 million views in two weeks. So which that is, does something to your analytics. You notice that. <laughs> yeah, that's surprising because that one is, is really more of a history piece. And I didn't really think that interesting because it is such a such a history piece of going different wars and things. And I don't know. People really liked it, though. That one, that one surprised. I thought it would do well, but I, I didn't think it would do something like that. I thought it would be a you know solidly into 100k, 200k. Yeah, yeah like I don't a, think you can really predict 2.5 million no. in two weeks. But yeah, some yeah. some of them I'm quite confident. Like this one's like a 500,000 view or a million view. I think you know has a shot at that. Uh, but 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 that one I wouldn't have I wouldn't have pegged as that because it is it is long too. That was the other thing, wasn't it? Like 15 minutes long or something like that. So uh, yeah. the bodies one. Yeah, don't have it in front of me, but. In terms of that Monopoly video, it's still quite popular. Five comments in the last 24 hours. So that's, that's, I mean, it's not exactly outrageously a large number, but, no, but um, still shows the stuff going on. Mm -hmm. I suppose I could pull up the actual view numbers, but it's more complicated, so I'm not going to. Yeah. And we should actually, uh, are we starting off with a quick fact? We are. What are you looking at? I see you. I see you. We have a video stream going on, so, <laughs> you know, we can react to each other and wave at each other. And I can see Daywin's deeply looking into something. Wait for it. Okay. Is it the distance between you and me? The miles? <laughs> no. I was no. looking. No, okay. it's a, the dead bodies one is a 12-minute video. So that is not... Eh. Yeah. I bet the viewer retention's good as well, considering how much, how much exposure it got. Yeah. And that I was surprised that one the next day we also posted how exactly do you prove you're alive if you're... If you're if you're declared dead. How did that do? I would expect that to do well, except for the fact we just had yeah. a 2.5 no, million one. That one was one I was expecting to be like a 500,000 view one or something like that. And what in fact happened was because it just happened right after the one YouTuber's promoting, uh -huh. YouTube will not promote, if they're promoting one video really huge, just like the rest of your videos that you put out after that, just for a while, just do not go well. Uh, no matter how, which great. doesn't seem to make any sense algorithm. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I don't know why the algorithm does that, but yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, exactly. And so it wasn't best timing to put that one out right after, but it still did all right. Hundred ninety view thousand views. So that's uh, good. I just got back from I just got back from VidCon London, and one of the people there was saying, "Yeah, you sometimes if you're doing like really often like daily videos." You have to do some videos that are not going to be popular. Yeah, you just throw, because otherwise the algorithm won't like you. Yeah, and and that's the thing. That's one such an advantage of like the people who just release once a once a week or something because always that surge is going to have died down by the time the next one comes out. So you can sort of just know, all right, now now time to make a new wave. You know, uh, instead it's of true instead of like us where it's like, oh, this one took off. We should probably reschedule and do like crappy videos for a couple of days just to. It's true, but the people who just have those big videos, they seem to live in, they live in fear of what if this is the one that doesn't take off? What if this yeah. one doesn't take off? Because yeah. so much of, you know, if you're doing four videos a month yeah. and like a quarter of your monthly income relies on like one video and it doesn't do well, that kind of sucks. Or if like one yeah. randomly gets demonetized, like we were at that dinner mm. in Amsterdam when the guy and he was, he was not pleased with the, with that happening oh yeah yeah he was he he i think at the time was clocking you know half a million in the first few hours yeah so he's like yeah no it's really important that the monetization gets sorted out pretty sharpish yeah he left he left the dinner for a while he did he did uh we should talk about monopoly man yeah let's do it so the the player pieces so it, i mean it seems a little odd why did they pick these these things like a little you know thimble and things like this like it's kind of random 
things. And it turns out when when Parker Brothers first introduced the game in uh, originally 1935, they actually didn't mm-hmm. have any player pieces whatsoever. They just recommended that people just use random stuff like buttons or pennies or whatever they had on hand as the player pieces. So the game didn't actually come with any player pieces at all. <laughs> well, like batteries not included. Yeah, exactly. And then a little bit later, they, they started uh, later in 1935, they started actually, and, and in 1936 sets as well, they started just doing wooden player pieces, just cheap little things that kind of look like chess pawns and uh, just little various various ones of those. And so that's what they mm-hmm. went with. And then it was finally in 1937 where they, they came out with the die cast metal ones that we're all familiar with today, or, or most of the ones we're familiar with. And these were the, the original ones were the car, a flat iron, a lantern, a thimble, a shoe, a top hat, and a rocking horse. Um, and then What's a flat iron? Uh, 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 iron, like a, uh, your clothes when your clothes have wrinkles, you know? What do you call it? Oh, we just call it an iron. Yeah, okay, so yeah, they flat iron i thought maybe it was something specific because i know there's that flat iron building in new york hmm. um but that's the only reason i so flat iron is just an american way of saying iron well actually a lot of people just say iron but you can okay. say flat iron too flat iron. either either so, way thank you for describing what an iron was to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so the uh and then later <laughs> later they also included a battle oh you mean you mean the thing you use after the clothes go in the magical machine that makes them clean <laughs> 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 yeah, Sorry, what's that called on. again? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then the, later the same year they have uh, they introduced the battleship and the cannon, and then uh, it was it was actually in the 1950s that they then they replaced the lantern, <laughs> the purse, and the rock. I just remember I saw an amazing video. Yeah. Um, it's by an Australian comedian, and it's about this guy and his wife. And I, I can't remember what it's called, but if anyone knows what this is, please leave it in the comments. Where this is a video, or whatever. It's amazing. He's like. I think it's to do. I, I think it's a table that clears itself, or like a laundry basket. Oh yeah, and yeah. He's like, I saw that. Oh no, <laughs> just leave it. Just leave. It. Just if you put your dirty clothes in the laundry, the magical basket, they appear in your drawers clean. And his wife's like, you know, it's not magical, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was good too. And then his wife leaves him in the end, and he's like, it's not working anymore. I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's I good. love that video. Good. Sorry, um, I interrupted you. So yeah, in the 1950s, they replaced the lantern, the purse, and the rocking horse with a dog, a horse and rider, and a wheelbarrow. So that gives us the pieces that, you know, uh, in the standard Monopoly set people are used to today. Obviously, they have, they have like mm-hmm. special ones like Star Wars ones and stuff like that that are different, but, you know, the standard ones. Um, and then later, they also did the sack of money. Just that was a result of a fan poll that picked as a, as a new piece. But... Mm-hmm. So how did why did they pick these weird objects in the first place? And it's often stated that no one actually knows. And while it's sort of true, like definitively, like the exact details of you know how, who who first decided to use these, uh, it's actually pretty clear where where the pieces came from. Um, so if you go oh, yeah. back to so Cracker Jacks, do you know what Cracker Jacks are? Is that a thing over there? No, no. no. Okay, I, maybe some type of cracker for a yeah. chap called Jack. <laughs> no, it's actually uh, like popcorn with like caramel covering and peanuts all oh, put in. Wow, so, that sounds good. It is, and Eifert, wait, Eifert, don't bring me those saltines next time you <laughs> see me. I want some cracker jacks. No, they are good, and um, traditionally, it's a good thing to say as well, cracker jack. Yeah, traditionally they have uh, that company started in the late 19th century, and they they also started putting prizes in not long after, like within a decade. So little like toys. Um, nowadays they get really cheap and just put like little. Tat, you know those temporary tattoos and stickers and stuff but mm-hmm. they used to actually put actual little toys in there um uh, just sort of as a selling thing and so if you actually look back at some of these early Cracker Jack toys in them they look shockingly uh. similar to the Monopoly pieces and it turns out the connection and this is where we can actually say yeah this is where Monopoly got it from 
is because Cracker Jack hired Tootsie Toy, the company Tootsie Toy, to make these molds for their for their thing and to produce these little die-cast things, like little the car and everything. And if you look at the like the original the Monopoly car and you can look back in the early 1930s, sure enough there is Cracker Jack's uh, little car that's the exact same car. And it turns out they used the company Tootsie Toy to make them and Monopoly also contracted with Tootsie Toy to make their pieces once they started doing the little die-cast ones. And so it looks like Tootsie Toy just was like, hey, we'll just use the same molds we're using for Cracker Jack. And so here's the pieces, um, you know, and so that that works. Um, and as far as... Smart move, Tootsie Toy. Yeah. As far as like why, okay, why the specific ones? Why did why did whoever at Monopoly choose these specific ones? Because they probably got to see what all the molds Tootsie Toy had and got to pick. Um, and so we have uh, one quote from author and game expert John Chinesky, and he's speculating... He says, I, I think they chose Cracker Jack prizes that symbolize wealth and poverty. The car, top hat, and dog were all possessions of the wealthy. The thimble, wheelbarrow, old shoe, and iron were possessions or tools of the poor. Yeah. So it seems probable. Plausible anyway. There you go. But, but either way, that part that part's not known definitively, but uh, it just has to speculate. But the other, I mean, the, the connection is very clearly there with Tootsie Toy and Cracker Jack and Monopoly. So, yeah. I think we have those ones as well, but we don't. They don't have the bag of money anymore? I don't think there's a bag of money in the Monopolies I've played. Yeah, I don't think so either, although it's been a long time since I've played Monopoly. Also, did you know we have different names on the things? Like we have, you know, uh, I'll just start naming random ones. Mayfair, Hmm. Park Lane, Old Kent Road, the Angel of Islington. They're all London places. Yeah, and that will actually get into sort of how that came to be. Uh, in a bit, but yeah, the yeah, the, the, there is a standard, of course, board in America that has like you know boardwalk and these sorts of things. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the originally is, is boardwalk Mayfair like the most expensive. Yeah, one? board boardwalk and Park Place are the most expensive. So there you go. Where is boardwalk? It's based on New York. Oh, well, if we get into this, we've got this coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to skip ahead then. Today's episode is brought to you by Retail Me Not. Retail Me Not is the ultimate destination for saving money when you shop online or even in a store. They've got thousands of coupons. There's deals, there's cashback offers, there's all of that good stuff. And they make it incredibly easy to save on pretty much everything you need. Thinking about clothing, electronics, even travel. What about restaurants, prescription drugs? Retail me not's where it's at. Now, importantly, they have a browser extension. And this, uh, it automatically finds and applies promo codes and cashback offers at checkout. So you know when you're browsing online, you might be looking at something, and you're like, oh, I'd like that from Amazon or wherever you're shopping online. You get to the checkout, you know, there's that coupon box. You're like, I'll give that a quick Google and maybe you find something, maybe you don't. All of that Googling, all of that time wasting, you don't need to do it with Retail Me Not Genie because their app, it sits in the background of your web browser. You can install it on, you know, Chrome or Firefox or whatever you're using. All major browsers are supported. You get to that checkout page, and they fill that box for you. So you know that you're getting the best deal. And I was, we had this advert on uh, the YouTube channel as well. And I saw people chiming in and saying like, hey, this actually works. I just saved $10 on my Amazon order. This was great. So uh, yeah, why not? I've also got it installed myself. It's, uh, it's just why not? Who doesn't like saving money? And yeah, it's also free. So there's that. All of that good stuff. You don't have to search for any more deals again. Go install Retail Me Not Genie. Does all the legwork for you. And let's get back to the show. So what's our main... I mean, 
the quick fact was related because we're talking about Monopoly as the main content, right? It is. I went with related this time for once. Ooh. Yeah. I do find it strange when I'm recording a video and it'll be like, oh, this topic was about this. And then I think we don't really do it anymore, but sometimes there'll be like a bonus fact. It's like, this is unrelated. This is completely unrelated. And I'm like, what's the connection? I like that. Like, I like it that way. But, but like you, a lot of the people watching and stuff was like, what did that have to do with anything? And they complained. Yeah. So I like the random. It's just like you, it's something you didn't expect to learn anything about based on the title. It's, it's called a bonus fact. It's a bonus. There, yeah. should, be, there should be no expectation of yeah. it being related. Yeah. But people, people find that weird. Yeah, that was the first, Which one I of get. the first things uh, today I found out was uh, one of the first that I know of that actually did. We did bonus facts. I didn't know of anyone else that was doing them at the time when we first started. And then a lot of different, um, a lot of different of the interesting fact, people started doing it like a, a year or two later. Um, so that was like a, that was like a thing I used to tell my authors, like you have to find bonus facts, like good ones. And yeah. they don't, they can just be like very loosely related. It doesn't have to, can be like a tangent. I feel like if you've, if you've done the research around a topic, there's usually yeah. something there. Ah, we can read exactly. it in, but it's fun anyway. Yeah. There's always, there's always things that it's like, yeah, I could do that. And I could, you know, I don't want to just, force it into the article. So I'll just, oh, this is something interesting that I came across. So I'll just add it to the mm. end. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. It's good for audience retention on YouTube. Yeah. 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 So yes. back to Monopoly. Now. Tell me. We're going to talk about who really invented Monopoly. So if you go, mm. if you go look at like the official, official account from, from, you know, the company that owns it and stuff, they will say, and many others will say it was uh, one Charles Darrow who invented Monopoly in uh, around 1933 the height of the Great Depression, he was basically broke and had no way of supporting his family. He invents this game within, I think it was like two years, it's selling like a couple million copies. And so now he's like a millionaire, uh, seemingly overnight or almost overnight. But it turns out Darrow completely stole the game. Like it's not even subtly stole it. As we'll get into, there's one thing that even even copied the misspelling of one of the uh, property names. That's how you know you're plagiarizing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, but... He, he still is, is generally given credit. So who actually invented it? And it turns out it was a, a turn-of-the-century feminist and left-wing activist, Elizabeth Maggie. Um, and she was actually just looking to illustrate certain economic concepts of, you know, like capitalism versus versus not. And uh, and this is just what she was trying to illustrate with this game. So, <laughs> okay, yeah, so to start... So, like, playing Monopoly, capitalism is fun. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's definitely... Definitely, she was trying to. Uh, well, we'll get into it in a second. So, so she's the was the daughter of newspaper publisher and abolition, abolitionist James Maggie, and okay. so basically he exposed her to a lot of like you know anti capitalist things and stuff like that. It was very big in their family, particularly uh, most notable for for this Monopoly story is Henry mm -hmm. George's eighteen seventy nine best selling book. It was called Progress and Poverty, and so mm -hmm. this this is basically the game. That she she created two games from this that she just wanted to illustrate the concepts of this book in game form, board game form, because board games were getting really popular in the early 20th century, just as people, you know, were working less hours, uh, getting more pay. And so you had this like rise of the middle class with who also had free time. And so mm -hmm. board games, this is when board game, you know, before that, it was more like you had like card games and things like this, but like games where you could just. Cards. Yeah. Isn't it bizarre to think that just like quite a short time ago, free time was. Yeah, not. Not no, a, didn't we do a video about the eight-hour workday and how like yeah. the eight hours work, eight hours play, eight hours of rest? Yeah, that was like a thing uh, to yeah. push for because before that, everyone's working like you know seventy, eighty hours or nine, or even sometimes a hundred <laughs> hours from like when they're ten. You know, so yeah. 
and, and like no time off at all. So this, yeah. For is, everyone complaining about how <laughs> the world is these days. No, it's nothing. Uh, like, go back a hundred years because you do that and then you die of a horrible disease yeah. by the time you're 40. Yeah, even, I mean, if you're super wealthy, I mean, it was nice, but it's nice now if you're super wealthy. But back then when you're super wealthy, you could still, like you say, you suddenly get like, you know, typhus or something and you die. I feel like it's it's been you know, it's always better to be wealthy yeah. wherever, whichever time you're living in. Yeah. But in terms of, I mean, the world's not perfect. I don't want to give that impression or yeah. anything that I'm saying that. But I don't feel there's a better time to no. like not have money because I'm looking, I'm talking to you on a TV that I bought to connect yeah. to my thing. So I have a slightly bigger thing to look at you. At. <laughs> and this TV was, I don't know, it's giants. And it was, <laughs> I don't know, what's the equivalent in dollars? Maybe $200? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you think about the components and work that we had to go into that. And yet it's still so cheap and just, yep. yeah, it's nice. It's a good, good time to be alive. Um, it's a good time to be alive. But so much time for board games. Yeah. So they started to get, you know, these board games that would take longer to play and you could sort of play with the whole family instead of, you know, just like a card games or dice games and stuff that were popular before. And so now you have this real rise in popularity board games. So she says, I'm going to, I'm going to create some games, some board games to basically target the middle class to play and they will just illustrate the concepts in Henry George's 1879 book and sort of as a teaching thing. So she begins working on two games. One is an anti-monopolist game and one is a monopolist game, uh, mm -hmm. sort of illustrating both sides. And so the monopolist version uh, debuted about six years. Uh, it was it was it 1903, I think. Yeah, something like 1903 or so. Uh, and she patented uh -huh. it as it was. She called it originally the landlord's game. And you can see yeah. uh, I'll put a picture up. Um, you can. You I'm looking can at it. the picture right now yeah. in the notes. It, it, it's it, it's very resemblance of Monopoly. Yeah, it's got it's got you know you got your jail, you got your your uh, let, I mean it, tons of stuff with this. So you got your fake money, you got to pay rent, taxes, purchase property, all that sort of thing. Um, you have instead of the instead of the go space, they had it was called a Mother Earth space, and the same type of thing you get uh, in this case. You got a hundred dollars if you passed it, you know, as you go around the board instead of like two hundred dollars with go. Um, had public parking, jail. Um, at the corners of the boards, chance cards, um, the go to jail car, uh, space, and you know the what happened when you got to jail was similar to the rules nowadays for Monopoly, and like in the in the modern game, the game ends when um, you know only one person has money. Mm. So that uh, so so Maggie actually has a quote, a nineteen oh two quote about her game. It is a practical demonstration of the present system of lands grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. It might well have been called the game of life as it contains all the elements of success and failure of the real world. There's another one. Game of life. Have you played that? Uh, no, but I, I'm familiar. I remember this also being fun as a kid. And oh. you could make like life decisions like, do you go to college? Do you not? And then it's like, hey, you randomly had a kid. And this, <laughs> this was fun. How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, so yeah this landlord's game she starts producing it with this uh there's a new york based firm starts producing it selling it she's not really looking to make money on it at all um yeah uh, she's just really wanting it to get in people's hands so they can see you know monopoly this sort of like monopolistic uh, capitalist society thing doesn't really work out mm -hmm. except for for like one person type of thing um so not good for everyone uh, so this became super popular, uh, particularly in college campuses and stuff uh, in the in the Northeast and just in the Northeast in general, people started playing a lot. Um, and so we actually have one example of Scott Nearing at the University of Pennsylvania. He's a professor there. And then later at the University of Toledo, he actually used to use it in his class, like teaching mm -hmm. business and finance and stuff. 
And it was just something that the students would play in in the classes, just sort of uh, illustrate concepts and stuff. And uh, most notable to the to the Darrow angle that we'll get to in a bit uh, is it was also embraced by the Quakers. Interestingly enough, the Quaker community really loved this game. What are the what are the Quakers into? Uh, I mean, it's just a religious group that uh, into oh, peace, okay. you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can see abol- abolitionists. They were they were quite progressive in some ways uh, for their time. Um, are they the guys who live in Salt Lake City? No, that's that would be the uh, Mormons' common name ah, for them. Okay. Um, no, the Quakers. Uh, Quakers, I think. So many religious groups. No, totally. The Quakers track. The Quakers, though, definitely. If you go look back at some of the stuff, they were way ahead of their time on a lot of the the racial equality and and uh, equality in general for people and stuff like that. So um, cool. But either way, so within a decade of the launch of the game. Uh, there was tons of different versions. People had already coming up with their own rules and stuff, modifi- modifications to try to make the the game more fun in different ways. Yeah, and so the, another thing with these with these different ones was that people also started naming the sort of renaming all the properties to stuff that fit their locality, like like we we're just talking about, like in ah. in Britain and stuff, where you have a different one, uh, different sets of things. And so this was already a thing at this point. People just did that. So and then by the 1920s, we had uh, various people started. You know, they just started trying to sell the game as their own or versions of the game. And so we had probably the most popular one was where one of the more popular ones was Dan Lehman's The Fascinating Game of Finance, which is later called Finance. And I think that one's actually still around. Um, but he actually, he tried to patent his version and then he found out of, of Maggie's patent. And so he ended up not being able to, but he still he still was able to sell it because uh, after her patent expired, um, her, or I should say her patent expired. And then um, a little bit later, she did create a new version of the game in 1924. And this is critical to something that comes later, which she then patented. And it was just sort of an updated uh, minor modifications and stuff. So she, she added rules mm-hmm. like uh, if you own all the railroads or utilities, you could then charge higher rents and stuff like that. Um, oh, Ooh, you have that today, right? Yeah, that's that's still around. And another one, this was another significant uh, addition she made was to introduce, uh, she had these little pieces, little chips that you could do that would then signify that you've upgraded the property. So it was basically the equivalent of the houses and hotels that we have now. Um, this is beginning to sound a lot like Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, it is. So now we're going to come back to Charles Darrow. So we're fast forwarding to 1932 and Darrow and his wife, Esther, are over. They're invited to a dinner party over at Oliver and Charles Todd uh, yeah. of, of Philadelphia. And uh, they are Quakers. So this and the Quakers, again, this this game was super mm-hmm. popular among the Quakers. And so they had their own little version of the <laughs> landlord's game. And uh, Todd would later state of this. The first people we taught the game to after learning it from the Rayfords was Darrow and his wife, Esther. It was entirely new to them. They had never seen anything like it before and showed a great deal of interest in it. Darrow asked me if I would write up the rules and regulations, and I wrote them up and checked with Rayford to see if they were right and gave them to Darrow. He wanted two or three copies of the rules, which I gave him and Rayford, and kept some myself. Yeah, so Darrow was indeed broke. It's a good friend. Like, hey man. This board game introduced me to you. I need you to write out all of the rules three times. Yeah. Sure. No problem. Yeah. And so Darrow was, as the common story goes, he really was broke at this time because the Great Depression was going on and all that and trying to figure out a way Mm -hmm. to support his family. So he decides this is a really fun game. I'm going to start selling it as if I made it. And he actually called it Monopoly. But even that, you think, oh, well, at least he came up with a, a new name for it. But no. A lot of people were calling it Monopoly at this point. It wasn't just called the Landlord's Game and they'd, you know, stuff. So this was a name that was already around. Um, and so he, but he did, he started making handcrafted sets of the game, the game boards and selling them as his own creation. 
Um, and if you're actually looking like, okay, did he actually tweak anything or anything like that? It doesn't seem to be the case. Like he does, he did come up with some artwork, some original artwork for it. Um, and mm-hmm. there are some minor rule tweaks from the original Landlords game, but it's also mm-hmm. like he was copying the Quakers version, which already had some rule tweaks. So it's not really clear if he actually came up with these tweaks or if he was just copying, you know, what what he was saw from the the Quakers. And it seems like maybe it was probably just copied from the Quakers because again, to get into that, Marvin Gardens is is misspelled with an I and that is stuck around when in fact it should have an E, but the the version that the that he got from the Todds had it misspelled. Uh, and oh, so no. that that that's fairly that that survived. So it, it doesn't appear that he probably came up with much other than some original artwork for it. Um, yeah. So then he starts he's selling it and it's doing really well. And uh, and so then he starts pitching it to big game manufacturers. Um, so like Milton Bradley uh, in 1934, they he pitched mm-hmm. to them to sell the rights to it to them. They turned it down. They didn't see much use of it. But then come uh, that Christmas season, he, he got it on the, the shelves of, a, of FAO Schwartz stores and that yeah. had huge sales. And that was enough to convince Robert Barton of Parker Brothers. Uh, I think Barton was like the son-in-law of one of the, of, oh yeah, George Parker, son-in-law George Parker. But either way, uh, they decided Robert Barton, he likes the game. So he's going to buy the rights to the game. And so he does pay $7,000 or about $125,000 today. But also Daryl would also get future uh, residuals uh, royalties for uh, every game they every game they sold so yeah with it's a pretty good deal yeah it's a good good deal gets gets some seed money right away and future royalties and it turns out within a year they had sold two million copies of monopoly Lord. yeah so you think at this point like parker brothers is definitely going to get sued right they're making tons of money off this thing but yeah they were one step ahead of the game because they very quickly learned as it, as the sales skyrocketed they very quickly learned that wait a minute Daryl didn't actually invent this game. This is an existing game. And so uh, they... they And they just cut him a check for like 125 grand. Yeah, and and residuals. And they don't even... They're selling this game that's doing awesome, but they don't even... You know, they could definitely get sued. It's not and theirs. It's not really theirs because he never had the right to, to sell them the rights anyway. So, yeah, yeah it does appear that um, they, they went ahead and kept the contract with Daryl, but then they started making some, some quite savvy business moves. For instance, they approached Maggie... And they said, hey, so they, her 1904 patent had expired, so they, they were sort of loosely okay there. Uh, and the, But mm-hmm. the, she did have the 1924 patent on her updated version, which they were using elements from as well. Um, so they went ahead and sought her out, and they said, okay, we will buy. And at this point, Maggie does not know about the Monopoly game at all. She's not not aware of its existence or their... Two million copies? How could she not be? What was the population back then? Like, not much. But, I don't know, but as you can see, as you can see from this story, that the the a lot of the yeah, stuff no, people I, didn't I, even I know. I see it in the notes, and yeah. I'm like, this is weird that she that yeah. she accepts this tiny. How much was it? Like a few yeah. hundred dollars. So what, yeah, so what, exactly what they do is they approach her and they say, hey, we want to buy your landlord's game, and not discussing Monopoly at all. We would just want to buy the the patent rights to the 1924, and we're going to make your game. That's uh, sketchy. And naturally, she was quite excited about it, and they offered her a few hundred dollars, which is about five thousand dollars today. Um, and no future royalties in this case. They weren't willing to give her anything there for the landlord's game. And so she goes ahead and, and sells it. Quite excited. Big company, you know, gonna. I, it wasn't that big at the time, but a company, you know, a game manufacturer wants to make it and produce it. And she even, there's a even quote on it where uh, when they sent her a copy of the landlord's game that they had produced, like the actual landlord's game oh. with the name. And she has a little quote of where she calls it uh, the song of her heart. So, uh, yeah. 
Uh, the song, so sad. the song they in my heart, screwed us so hard. Yeah, they did. And then at the same time, Parker Brothers, because there were all these variants, like the the finance game that we mentioned earlier and stuff like that, that were also around. They started snapping up the rights to a lot of these games as well, just to kind of cover themselves for the for the that as well, just in case. And so then, oh, man. but then pretty soon, Maggie actually learned about Monopoly soon after she had sold the rights to the Landlord's game. And this this uh, she didn't actually seem to care. Like if you look at the interviews that the people mm. were making millions off her game and she was not, uh, but she wanted, she did want credit. She wanted credit that she made the game, not Darrow. Uh, but I mean, this is a fairly, if she, she was originally making this game because she liked the socialist ideals, yeah, right? And yeah. this kind of stuff. This is a pretty damning indictment. <laughs> of like, <laughs> yeah, that is. She's like, I, or maybe she's just like, yeah, I know you big companies, you scumbags. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I already knew this. Well, yeah, and it fits her sort of, her sort of ideology that she doesn't so much care about the money. She just wants the credit, you know, true for that. Uh, so yeah, she complains about it. And Parker Brothers is like, nope, Darrow made it because of course they're not going to uh, switch the story. Because also the Darrow angle made a good story. It's like this rags to riches guy, you know, it makes a better story than, you know, some you know, anti-capitalist person, yeah, yeah. feminist woman from the early 20th century doing this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so they they didn't really want it. So they they did end up kind of shutting her up because she was kind of going to the press and stuff and talking about it. Uh, So they shut her up by agreeing to buy two more of her games, which she had Bargain Day and Kingsman. Uh, Neither one did much. And they also agreed to actually go ahead and manufacture the Landlord's game for real, not just send her a copy. Uh, But they never marketed it or really anything, so it didn't do well. Um, Because they were obviously just pushing Monopoly. So in 1948, Maggie dies. And at this point, like her side of things just largely got forgotten. And you can look like from there until kind of the 1970s uh, was when just it was virtually forgotten. Everyone just went with the Darrow story. And even even today, the Darrow angle is is largely a lot of people still say he invented it and kind of give his story. But they said this was official, like this is still their official line. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's so sketchy. Yeah, but but the things I finally Maggie kind of resurfaced in 1973 when Parker Brothers was in a legal battle with one Professor Ralph Anspeck uh, over his game called the Anti-Monopoly Game, which of course uh, I I don't know if this game was actually derivative of Maggie's. Uh, if it was, the Anspeck didn't seem to know it. Um, yeah. But either way, so they they were in the legal battle, and it was uh, Anspach's lawyers who uncover Maggie's patents to the anti-monopoly game and the monopoly game, um, or her landlords, what she called it. So the so they they kind of discover this, and then it gets out in the press, and of course, then the real story of how monopoly actually came about gets revealed, and that Darrow, in fact, was not the inventor of the game. He mostly just copied it, and some variations of the rules that came with the Quaker Community's version of the landlords game. So. You can still buy this anti-monopoly game today. Really? D- yeah. D- it, it looks very much like regular Monopoly. Huh. I wonder what the rule differences are and stuff. That might be. We, ooh, we could play it, do a live stream. Yeah. Uh, I quite enjoy these live stream board games. Um, yeah, this is interesting. It doesn't get very good reviews, though. No. Um, 6.2. Well, because people like to make a lot of money and stuff, and it is was like giving money away or something or sharing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> it's much more fun to ruthlessly crush your opponents. And by opponents, I mean fellow family members. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so so this this all brings us around. So I'm gonna I'm gonna order that anti-monopoly name game. <laughs> yeah, so this brings us around. I, I, do you do you play board games? I, I really love board games. I, really? I, I play a lot. 
I, I mean, I used to play more, but I yeah, play I, as much as I can. I used to play a lot, but now it's been, I don't know, probably like a decade since I really played board games at all. Other than like Trivial Pursuit, as you might imagine, I'm pretty good at that one. <laughs> unless mm. it's the, uh, unless it's the, um, the pop culture ones, I, I suck at those. So those questions, they're awful. Oh yeah, this is why I was wondering if I'd be really good at Who Wants to Be a Millionaire yeah. because we've done so much stuff. Oh yeah, but- And then I played it online and it's, I was like, okay, a lot of the stuff we do is American focused. Yeah. So I'll try the US Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah. And then as soon as any sports question comes up, yeah. it's not baseball because oh, we do stuff about yeah. baseball, which yeah. uh, I, I don't, but still, even if something comes up about that, like who won the Super Bowl? Baseball bowl. Yeah. What's I don't even know what this is called. Yeah. The Super Bowl of baseball. Yeah. The World Series. Yes. Yes. It okay. Is. So I'm sure that'd be a hundred dollar question that I get right. But anything along those lines, it's like okay, I lose all of my money. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Exactly. That's what uh, any pop culture, unless it has to do with like music from like 2000 or before. <laughs> anything after 2000, <laughs> I'll probably not do well. On. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I was like, so I had. I heard the name Cardi B about six times in the last two days, uh, just mentioned on a podcast. Then I saw something on BBC News and I was like, who is this Cardi B woman? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no idea who that was. Yeah. But if you want to ask me about alternate rock from 1995 <laughs> to maybe 2003, I'm your man. <laughs> exactly. But in any event, coming back to Monopoly and the rules. So how is everyone playing it wrong? Uh, what are the rules that are actually there instead of the common ones? So uh, actually Hasbro, which now owns the rights, I'm not sure if just in the US or worldwide distribution rights, it's kind of, it varies from game to game. I can't remember on Monopoly, but either way, they actually, a lot of these house rules are so so popular, they have actually started putting like a house rules in the rules, where it's like a separate thing, like if you want to just play with these different rules. But it turns out these different rules often make the game much worse and much more, you know, takes longer and, you know, gets people angry and stuff, as we'll get into uh, shortly. So so to begin with, the the most popular tweak is so free parking when, when like, what do you, what do you usually do when free parking, like when you play it? I know I'm not supposed to. Uh, because I, we made a video yeah. that got like seven, six million views about it. Um, as as a, I haven't played Monopoly in many years, but we would put five hundred Monopoly money in the center yep. at the beginning of the game, and then whenever someone yeah. takes it, you put another five hundred in, and also all of the fines and taxes go yeah. into the it is so into the center. It is so amazing that that because that is exactly how I've always played it, and and you know you in the UK, that's exactly, and that's nowhere in the rules is that a thing. Like, it's just not yeah. a thing. And yet the, uh, across the world, this is how everyone plays it. And it turns out that's going to make the game take longer because now you're giving players a lot more money and stuff or, or a certain player that lucky enough to land on. The actual yeah. thing is nothing is supposed to happen when you land on free parking. It's just a place to land your piece and nothing happens. <laughs> None of those tax dollars. Anything. But that's boring. Yeah. It's not. It, <laughs> I don't want my tax dollars to actually go to the governments. I want to have the chance of them being redistributed to me. Yeah. Yeah. But then you, you can't see distributing more money like that is just going to make the game <laughs> take longer because people aren't going to go bankrupt as well. And remove a ton of skill. Yeah. It, it, this is the thing. Most of the rules changes, the house rules that people do, it removes all the skill and makes it more of a game of chance, just like the roll of the dice, like where are you going to land? Whereas in the original, there is actual some strategy, there's quite a bit of strategy with how you're doing things, uh, as we'll get into more uh, in momentarily. So uh, next one up. So another one, uh, when people commonly play where you have to go around the board once before anyone can start buying properties. 
uh, and that no, I don't I don't play that. Do you play that? Yeah, I'd always played that as well. It was sort of yeah. like you always wanted to roll high at first. So you can sort of get a chance to buy properties first, which again we'll get into in a minute. Is also it shouldn't take long to, for all the properties to be bought up the way you're actually supposed to play it, but no one does. But this one, just going around the board once, it's not a thing. That's not supposed to be. You're supposed to be able to buy properties right away. And so, it's a waste of time. Yeah, and so this is the other thing. When you Most people play it so that when you land on a space, you have the rights to buy that property if it's not mm-hmm. purchased by someone. And that's it. You can either choose to buy it or you cannot. And if you choose to buy it, you you know you just snap it up or you can just leave it. And then it's the next player's turn. But this is kind of boring for all the other players because they have nothing to do when it's your turn and you're just deciding. But it turns out if you choose not to buy that property, every single mm-hmm. player, including yourself, then the property goes up to auction and you all bid on it if anyone wants it. Uh, and then the, the higher bidder gets it. So every player has the option to buy it if you land on it and choose not to. And so that you can see quite quickly, all the properties on the board should get snapped up because, uh, you know, players going around instead of having to just this chance roll of the dice thing all the time where every player, you know, has to eventually land on all the spaces and then decide to buy it before then, you know, things start moving forward. This this should happen quite quickly because of this auction system that is supposed to take place. That sounds fun. Why is that? We I feel like that should be reintroduced. No, and it, and it's totally and it adds an element of strategy because you could you could want the property, but maybe you, I don't want to pay. You know whatever it is. So maybe we'll. So do you open it up to the risk of losing it yeah. to save a few bucks? Yeah, or mm. or or and and then of course uh, the auctioners, people auctioning on it, how much they actually want to pay for it. That's also some strategy there of you know budgeting and looking at what else they might want to target and things like that. So it adds a bit of a bit of strategy to the game. Um, Right there, and and of course we should play Monopoly when we next meet. Yeah, like the real way too. Yeah, because <laughs> I have never played it this way with, it, and it sounds way more fun and faster. It, this is the thing; it just sounds like it'll be over in an hour or two, yeah, rather than like the the seven hour epic exactly. that Monopoly becomes. Yeah, or like if that spans multiple days because no one has time to just sit down all that time and yeah. play it. Yeah, so that speeds it up, and uh, so then another one that's different is uh, when a player goes bankrupt. So you are supposed to get all that player. So the player goes bankrupt. They owe you money. You're supposed to then get all that player's remaining assets. Um, and then a minus, minus they are required before you get that. They have to sell back their houses and um, hotels and stuff, which we'll get into why that's the case because of another thing that everyone does wrong. Uh, so that they that's sell their back stuff, but you still get the money for that. So you get all their stuff. Uh, but in, in, you know, in actual practice. Wait, you have to pay, repay any debts to the bank and then the rest of it goes to the person who bankrupted you? So like, yeah, so yeah, you go bankrupt. Now you have to sell back any buildings and stuff to the bank. And so, and ah, this is, okay. this is important because of another rule, like the, the reason they do this. Uh, and then, then the player who bankrupted you, you have to give them all your money basically and your, mm-hmm. your and all that. So, um, so what actually most people do is they just turn over the properties to the bank, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, and then if someone else lands on it, then they have the option to buy it. But of course, again, even if that was the case, uh, everyone should then have the au- uh, opportunity to auction if the person chooses not to buy it. But either way, the, what's actually supposed to happen is the bank gets all the properties, right? And then, and then there's supposed to be this auction that uh, that happens where everyone gets to bid on these properties, right? Okay, uh, like all of them at once. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Into- so all the properties there, so no one has to go and Ooh. land on them at all. Uh, it's just now these are bankrupt properties. And now we auction, and the person, the one person, gets the money for it. Hang on, hang on. But if I've bankrupted someone, why don't I get their properties as settlement of the debt? The, the rules? <laughs> no, I, hang on. I think I think that that only happens if you've been bankrupted by the bank. Oh, like okay. if you've been bankrupted by taxes, then 
this is what happens. But if I've bankrupted you, you have to give me all of your stuff. That was my reading when, we, when I was looking through this. I could be wrong because you, you do much more research and I just glance over it. No, let me look at the notes real quick. I might be remembering <laughs> wrong. Yes, you are correct. That only the properties go mm, to the person satisfied. and then the bank, <laughs> the bank then gets it if it's the bank that, that uh, does it. And then and then if the bank is the bank does it, then you can all then then the auction occurs where everyone can buy any of the properties. No one has to land on them. And so you can just go through all of them. So then they quickly get redistributed to everyone. Uh, and that makes sense. Yes. Because if I bankrupt you, I want your stuff because you owe me like the yeah. 2000 Monopoly dollars because you landed on Mayfair. Yeah, this is funny because like that was when researching this one in the first place, like Carl and I both actually read through the entirety of the rules just to see all the ones that people don't do. Uh, and it was kind of interesting because I'd never read the rules for Monopoly and there was a lot of stuff that was different. Because um, you, you just learn it from your yeah, grandma. Everyone does that. No one, no one bothers to read the rules because everyone knows how to play Monopoly just because they learned it from someone who actually also doesn't know how to play doesn't Monopoly. Doesn't know how to play Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, I think like the app version of that is starting to change that because the app version actually has, uh, you know, usually they have the actual real way or you can play by the house rules ways. And so people kind of see... You are right. Yeah. I, I remember having the Monopoly game on an old... Scion organizer. Do you remember those things? Mm -hmm. Those computers yeah, that would yeah. like fought. And there was a Monopoly app. And this thing, it would do the auction. I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so another one. Well, most people, when you land on Go, will just give you like double. They'll give you four hundred dollars. But that's not yeah. that's not a thing at all. You're just supposed to get two hundred if you land on it or pass it. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, the four hundred thing is just a thing people do. Another thing that's distributing more money to people to make the game last longer. And distributing money to people based on chance and not skill. Yeah, and the, the rule book next up on giving loans to other players says the rule book. That's not going to be allowed, right? Yeah. Oh, wait, there's a quote for me yeah. to read on this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, money can be loaned to a player only by the bank and then only by mortgaging property. No player may borrow or lend money to another player. See, now that, yeah. that's going to... That's going to make this game a whole lot better. Yeah, because this is where the big fights always come in is when, you know, two people might team up or they'll all loan you some money yeah, and then yeah. this sort of underhanded thing. And then someone else is like, well, why don't you loan me some money? Or, and then it's like a whole... Because like you. Yeah, and we're both teaming up on you right now. And so yeah, this is uh, this is where fights... This is how fights start and boards get flipped over and stuff. And that's you're just not supposed to be able to do that. Um, I, think, I think we're doing a service to siblings <laughs> yeah. around the world right now and saving explaining all of this saving people a lot of time because monopoly is going to go much quicker when they play and be more fun this version of the game sounds a lot more fun than the one that takes like 10 hours and you know all that so we could we could play both versions we could play house rules <laughs> yeah. and then do monopoly as it's actually supposed to be played yeah and so another one so what's supposed to happen when you land in jail is a little bit different so the official rule state even though you are in jail, you may buy and sell property, buy and sell houses and hotels, and collect rents. Now, I used to play, if you were in jail, you're in jail. You got a role yeah. to get out, and people who land on your properties, you're safe and sound. Yeah, but that's not the way it's supposed to. You're supposed to actually be able to earn income, which makes going to jail really awesome. Going to jail is good, yeah. yeah. Especially in the later parts of the game. Uh, so that's just a good thing. And uh, significantly there, you can still buy and sell property, which uh, in the way that most people play where you have to land on something, you can't do that when you're in jail. So early in the game, it's like, oh, it's not good to go in jail. But uh, in the in the auction system, it's actually not necessarily that bad at all because you can still mm -hmm. auction and buy stuff. And uh, like in real life, if you're if you're rich and in jail, it's not, you know, you can still make money. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's sort of Tell thing. that to Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, so yeah. So now that now we're coming to the houses and hotels. So it's supposed to be no one I know plays it this way, but there are a finite number of houses and hotels, which is why these things have to be auctioned back to the bank uh, and stuff. So you're supposed. To- I, I, we never. I never used to add stuff. We used to. If you're out of houses, you're out of houses. Really? I, I always played it where we would just use like random other pieces or houses from another board game or whatever. But so it it's supposed to be 32 houses, 12 hotels. That's it. Uh, once it's run out, there's no more for anyone to buy. And so you have to sort of, you know, you've got to, yeah. Cause we used to, the big motivation was if you were super rich yeah, and there were like four players or whatever with houses, one of the big motivations was to bankrupt another player. So the houses would go back into the thing and you can start buying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so but when you do it with the unlimited number, it's just like people just continually until every space has a hotel on it. And then it's just, you know, then again, it is just a game of roll the dice and then hope I don't land on this thing whereas this version where there's a finite number is actually got some more strategy and not only because of there's a finite number but it actually you once the once the um the houses and hotels start to become scarce and run out Mm -hmm. uh, the rules actually state if there are a limited number of houses and hotels available and two or more players wish to buy more than the bank has the houses or hotels must be sold at auction to the highest bidder yeah so it becomes now there's also like a bidding war for these when the when the resources become scarce which also makes it a little more strategy and uh, and because there is a finite number on the on the on the board it becomes less a little bit less of it i mean there's always the chance the roll of the dice thing but it's, it becomes less of a game of of the roll of the dice when when you know but hang on don't you get to buy houses and hotels at the beginning of your turn? So surely it's just a matter of whose turn is next. How can two people be trying to buy houses at the same time? Because the rules probably don't state that at the beginning of your turn <laughs> is when you buy houses. You can probably just buy houses whenever you want, I'm guessing. Yes, I, I, I think I have okay. that in the notes somewhere, but let me just look real quick. Uh, but I do remember that being a thing where you can buy them. Which, again, makes the game more fun because then it gives players something to do when it's not their turn. Mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't put that in the notes, but I vaguely remember. But I could be wrong. Uh, but that would make it more seems sense. To be the only way that we could make sense. Yeah, because there's no is, other. If this is in the official rules, then that the way we've played doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's there's no way for two players to to bid at no. the same time. So, so yeah. That... Oh, we screw Monopoly up in ways <laughs> we're not even aware of. Yeah, yeah. And so after after they're all all gone, you have to wait until someone you know re- bankrupts and returns houses and hotels to the bank. Or, or you can also, if people need money, they can, you know, sell it back at half the original price mm-hmm. if they just need some cash. See, that was new to me. I didn't know that. I thought if you sold a house, it was you'd sold it at the amount you bought yeah, it for. Yeah, that, that is also the way I've always played it, but it's supposed to be half. Because then it's like, half. just use all your money to buy houses, of course. Yeah, yeah but no, in this way, you only get, uh, de- you know, you get the depreciating value of the thing when you when you give it back. Wow. Um, so, that's, a, that's like a 2008-style housing market. Yeah. Yeah, and also if you want to sell a property to or auction it off to another to other players, uh, it turns out you have to first return all your hotels and houses as well to the bank um, for the for the half cost, and so you can't you can't sell it with hotels on it or whatever. Which I don't know. I don't remember if I've ever played it that way or not, or if you just sold it with the stuff that was on it. Wait, if you were bankrupted or if you just wanted to sell it? Yeah, if you just wanted to sell or auction your property to other players. Oh yeah. Then we had to you had to take all the houses off it first. Yeah, that is the way the rule is supposed to be. I can't remember if that's you the way couldn't I mortgage it. you couldn't mortgage a property with uh, houses on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's correct, right? Yeah. One one thing that kind Woo. of sounds like sounds like it's a house rule, but it turns out it's not. 
uh, is that if you land on someone's property and and no one no one notices, uh, the official you don't have to pay. Yeah, the official rules say the uh, the owner may not collect the rent. So that that seems like it would be a house rule, but like just something like trying to get away with. But no, that is an actual official rule. Uh, if they don't notice and the next person rolls the dice, then it's that's it. They don't have to pay. Um, so they can't. I wish that was the case when I was like renting property. Yeah, it's like the landlord just yeah. hasn't reminded me to pay this month. So yeah. I guess I just don't have to pay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it turns out another, a similar one. Uh, so Scrabble, moving over yeah. to Scrabble, which is also a, a Great Depression era a game that came out. Um, so it is. Oh, I know where you're going with this. It is yeah. entirely legal to play a totally made up word, and uh, and if and you can get away with it potentially. And that you think, you know, the the potential risk here in the official rules is that you learn lose your turn if the if someone challenges it and then it's discovered that it's not really a word. And so you might think like, oh, this this will be. Something people will just always challenge if you do a word that kind of sounds like it's not really a word. But it turns out there's risk, and this is a rule that a lot of people don't know about. There is risk to the to the person challenging because if you challenge the word and it turns out to be a valid word, uh, then you it depends on the region where the game is made. But you can either you know it's common to lose like five points, or um, or you lose your next turn. The challenger loses a turn for challenging and being incorrect. And so it's not you're not necessarily going to always challenge something that seems like it's probably a made up word. And so a lot of people don't play it that way. They're just like, oh, that's not a word. Let's look that up. If you've got nothing, like that's a fairly good strategy. And I, I also like this because my vocabulary is far weaker than my ability to bluff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of people, I mean, I don't know anyone that does that second part where, it's where oh, you were, I mean, everyone just like, oh, that's not a word. Let's look it up. And it's not, a lot of people I feel like don't really know the, that these are they're actually rules governing this. There's consequences of your actions. Yeah. If you actually say, no, I'm challenging that word. Uh, yeah, if you're wrong. So, yeah, it adds a little bit of strategy. Uh, strategy to that Scrabble. sounds like it would make Scrabble a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to cover Scrabble at some point. I don't know if, like, right away, but I definitely want to do some more board games because there's some interesting stories and stuff beside, behind some of these. And Scrabble is one that has got a quite interesting origin. Um, and so... Have you played Have you played Secret Hitler? No, I have not. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah. If you get some friends around, play some Secret Hitler. Uh, yeah. It's a good time. I'm not even. It's a real good time. It's the best game I've played since Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, what's what do you do in it? What is like the? You have to you have to get Hitler elected. <laughs> uh, it's not quite so simple. There's like uh, two teams: the fascists and the liberals, <laughs> and you're secretly given a card. And you have to either, if you're a liberal, you have to stop Hitler becoming chancellor of Germany, or if you're a fascist, you have to work to get Hitler elected chancellor of Germany. <laughs> The game ends with either Hitler being assassinated, the liberals taking power, or Hitler uh, becoming chancellor. That's hilarious. It's very, very, very good. Yeah. And I've had some, I had some friends around to play it like a few months ago. And it gets late at night and you're playing this game and you're getting so loud. Everyone's like <laughs> shouting at each other. And it's like, it, it stirs passions. Yeah, yeah. It sounds It's sounds an fun. exceptional game. Sounds yeah. fun. Very good. So yeah, that's that's basically the rules I wanted to go over, and that's that is why the game of Monopoly takes way, way too long and is not nearly as fun as it should be if if people would just bother to actually read the rules. Next time on the Monopoly podcast, yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is uh, I, I could talk about board games a lot. Monopoly, this is I enjoy this. Yeah. So that's 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 the main content. That's what we're. Uh, yeah. And now we have some follow up. We're finally going to get around to do horses actually sleep standing up. 
Or do they hold just... Hold on, hold on, okay. hold on. Let's make people listen to some great reviews for our podcast. Okay. <laughs> before Because, we... <laughs> I mean, I want to be a professional podcaster yeah. and I want to you know, let people know that we read the... Exactly, you got to yeah. tease it. I, gotta... I should have had these in front of me. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. We have 296 reviews. Oh, wow. Um, I think we should... We're giving away... A $300 Amazon gift voucher when we get to it. It's been a bit slow getting up to 300 well, so this contest has been going on a while. It doesn't help that uh, it doesn't help that we've been like not publishing at all lately. We have been fairly spotty. But that's, get it, that's coming around. One more week, I'll be all moved, and then I can start to have some semblance of a, of a schedule <laughs> that's not yes. random. Um, It'll be good. Yeah. Uh, I've got one here. The first one, it's a four star. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be fair and equal. And I'm going to read it. It says, I've been watching To Death and Out on, uh, and thank you to Be Assassin, BA Assassin for this, or Ba Assassin. I've been watching To Death and Out on YouTube for a while now, so it's only natural for me to start listening to this podcast. It's by far the best podcast I've found. Where's my five stars then? Come on. <laughs> if, this is, if this is better than like all of those Gimlet shows and NPR, as you say, or maybe he just hasn't found those because those are very good. <laughs> You should also subscribe to those, dear listener. Uh, And then I'm learning a lot from it. The only reason I haven't given you five stars is because of the shocking amounts of great movies that Simon hasn't seen. So So, uh, that's on me, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Although we've both not... You you haven't seen The Godfather, right? Apparently that's very good. No interest in that. But you definitely should watch The Princess Bride because it is great. Uh, Mm. I've never heard of anyone who doesn't like that movie. It's just not not a thing. How about this one? This is genuinely... The next, uh, there's a five-star review, which I'm just going to skip over, but thank you, Keylorn, for it. I'm going to read it, actually, because then people will think I just read the bad reviews, and we don't want that, because no, then they'll leave bad reviews. Yeah. Cleehorn says, this is a great podcast, always full of random facts. Goes on slight tangents once in a while, but I love it. <laughs> this one, three stars. Pretty, and I, I do feel like these are, we, we have had an unfortunate run of four-star and three-stars, because there's two of them here. Where's Generally, we have 460 ratings, 427 of them are 5, 21 are 4, and then 4, 3, 4, 5, 3, all the way down. Mm-hmm. So, pretty okay. Uh, <laughs> pretty okay. Carl, 27, <laughs> 3 stars. I like this podcast, but I'm only giving it 3 stars because Simon threw a shade at Pink Floyd. Simon, if you're reading this, The Wall is one of the greatest albums of all time. So what we've, and I what don't we're care learning you, from you this. Could drop it down to, you could drop it down to three stars. The Wall is not one of the greatest albums of all time. The Wall is a piece of... <laughs> I enjoyed it, but what I'm learning from these reviews is that you are responsible for all our <laughs> bad reviews. <laughs> I have to say, like, I probably, uh, I, I like to turn it up a bit for the podcast because I, 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 if The Godfather was on, I'd probably watch it. If Princess Bride was on, I'd probably watch it. If The Wall was playing, I'd be like, oh, this is actually all right. Yeah. But all I remember, I, I don't know if I even listened to The Wall all the way through, but that like, it's just another brick in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Pink Floyd. See, I used to always, I had a, I had a, when I worked at the video store in college, uh, I had a person I worked with who would always just put it on. It's just like nice to have a background music instead of the movies. Like he had the, there was some sort of live concert version of it. It was quite good. Yeah. I used to enjoy listening to it. Quite relaxing when you're working. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've, uh, maybe I should listen to the whole thing, but then I'm worried that I'll just end up killing myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So. <laughs> 
It's risky. It's risky. (laughs) Tell me about some horses. I've upset enough people. We've got some more bad reviews coming our way. So... Uh, so yeah, the horses, do they sleep standing Haven't up? Haven't we been trying to figure this out for like six episodes? Yeah, I finally decided to go ahead and, and take the time to look it up. Uh, so are they Thank you. Are they doing that or are they just seeming like they're asleep a little bit like cows where they're kind of sleeping, but not really? And it turns out horses are a little bit like the cows in this way. They're, they're definitely in sort of a sleep-ish state, but they're also pretty aware of what's mm-hmm. going on around them. Like they're easy, easily startled, basically. It doesn't take much to, to snap them out of it. Uh, and it's not really a deep sleep state. Um, so we have uh, one doctor's. Oh, and they also do uh, to answer another question: Is do they actually lock their knees when they're when they're doing this mm-hmm. standing up sleep thing? It turns out they do. And so we have a little quote Ooh. from Doctor Sue McDonald of the Equine Behavior Lab at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine, and she states, "That's a mouthful." Uh, she says. A sort of internal hammock, a system of tendons and ligaments called the stay apparatus. The system lets him lock his legs in position, so, unlike you, he can relax his muscles and doze off without keeling over. Even when he's not sleeping, he uses the stay apparatus to rest muscles and reduce fatigue. I would like this. Yeah. But, That'd but be pretty with, handy, we with like only like, standing up for a long time. We, yeah, it would be nice. To, in, I'm not sleeping, of course, but standing up, yeah, it would be nice. But of course, uh, for us, because with only the two legs, we'd have a tendency probably just to fall over. Um, when with four, you can be a little more stable uh, and whatnot <laughs> without having to do much. Um, but yeah, so they are they are sort of sleeping in this state, this standing up state. But it's the, it's definitely that sort of light dozing thing. And two, they actually need more than that. So they they need to do a deep sleep state, which um, they need about three hours of uh, per twenty four hours or so. They don't. I should say they don't strictly need it. They can go actually for quite a long time without this. Uh, for various reasons and so they but they they do need it and so they'll usually just lay on their side uh and to get the the rem sleep and you know the deep the deep sleep and so mm-hmm. um yeah so it turns out there's various reasons why this is good for them to not to be able to have that sort of light restive slate and be able to also endure like if they need to a few days in a row or whatever without getting the deeper sleep um so it's basically just sort of a, a defense mechanism so they're you know herd animals for in, you know usually in you know in the wild would just be in like fields and things like this. And so it's not really the best, you know, they're quite prone for predators. And so they'd rather not just be laying on their side on the ground and a predator sneaks up and, you know, attacks them. Uh, they'd rather be in a standing state and being very, uh, or at least somewhat alert. And so they can, you know, instantly spring and just like run off because they're really fast. Um, so it turns out they do not sleep, do this deep sleep for very long at a time. So even though they need about three hours or so a day, what they'll do is just like 10 minutes or 15 minutes, just like they'll lay down, get that little sleep in. They can they can sometimes do it for a couple hours at a time, uh, but they won't want to do more than this because um, mm. um, they actually have really poor circulation and also the laying down on their side puts a lot of extra internal pressure on their organs and stuff. And it turns out to be really bad for them if they do that for several, too many hours in a row. And so it's usually just like a quick... <laughs> Seems like a design flaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's, a, it's usually just like a quick little thing. They'll get their little deep sleep, then they'll stand up, you know, kind of graze, walk around a little bit, and then uh, may, might do the standing rest if they need to. Um, and so that also the walking around and stuff helps their, you know, their leg muscles and stuff help the circulation to their legs and things like that um, as it's contracting. And humans are the same way. This is one of the reasons why mm. when you stand in place, uh, kind of your, 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 your muscles actually moving and walking actually helps your kind of not that blood, not sort of pool in your legs as much. And um, so it actually sort of gets the fluids going around a little better. And so when you're, that's one of the reasons yeah. why you feel so fatigued when you're standing in, in place versus just walking. 
Um, and it's just that, that the blood pooling and that sort of thing. And then, and then of course, if you lock your knees, you can actually, uh, you know, pass out for various reasons. You can? Yeah, this is like a thing because uh, it, the, the, it is just the blood in your legs and not circulating. And then, you you know, you can pass out eventually. It's one of the reasons why if you're ever giving speeches and stuff, they, they you know, that's like a tip is don't don't just stand there stock still because, you know. God, that'd be embarrassing. Yeah. You just like, yeah. just give it a talk. It's all going fine. Yeah. And then you just pass out. Yeah. Because uh, you also, your heart rate's a little higher because you're in front of people and stuff like that. So it's just, uh, it's just a thing. So, but yeah, either way. Pro tip. Either way. So the, the horses, uh, they, they don't lay down uh, much. Because, and this is also good, of course, for predators to not be on the ground too much. And it turns out if you're, if you watch horses, uh, especially in a herd, that if they're in like an environment that they seem like they're not they're a little anxious or whatever, or they don't seem to think it's too safe, they will actually mm. skip this laying down sleep altogether until they can find a place where they feel comfortable. Uh, and they'll just do the standing sleep just as sort of, an, sort of a defense mechanism there. They're, they're kind of somewhat alert and standing, ready to mm. take off running. And another interesting thing is if you watch them in a herd, even when they do feel safe, most of the, most of the horses will all lay down and go to sleep. And then one or more, usually just like one or two horses, will remain standing in the standing sleep and then periodically one of the other horses that's in the laying state will get up ah. and then they kind of trade off uh, and this sort of thing they're like on watch yeah so there is just someone watching i mean they're not really they're in that sort of like light sleep state but they're a little more alert than the ones who are in the deep sleep and so if they if they and even the horses laying down they're pretty they they wake up pretty easily compared to like a human in a deep sleep or whatever but um but it's still when when they're in the light resting sleep they're a lot more alert so so yeah that's this is this is what horses do and uh yeah, so they do sort of sleep standing up, but not not like a deep sleep type thing. But I'm very satisfied with that answer. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. Is that uh, is that it for today? That is it for today. This was nice. Yeah, this was nice. If you're listening, why not leave us a review? Don't base your review on my music and film taste, though, because yeah. you know I'm less than agreeable when it comes to music yeah. and film. Yeah, you know, I I. I could make a list of albums that I think are masterpieces that most people probably think are, are, are real pieces of crap. Oh no, I can, but you know, I can. I'm on the same page there because I can honestly say, like, my favorite movies of all time would be on zero people's lists. Like, it is like maybe like the mother, the mother of the director might say that that's their favorite movie, but that's yeah, about no it. One no one else. Not probably not even the director. We both have a deep passion for Star Trek First Contact, yeah, though. Yeah, which that's, we all know is one of the greatest movies well, ever made. That one's an exception. That one's awesome and yeah, should be people's favorite amazing. movie. And it's well reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say? What would you say is your favorite movie of all time then? Uh <laughs> it used to be American Beauty, but then that whole took on a whole different meat message with Kevin oh, yeah. Spacey's general yes. revelations. Um uh, American Beauty is definitely up there. Really? Uh, Star Trek First Contract. Yeah, that's a good one. Contact. Uh, Lost in Translations, another favorite of mine. I've never seen that one. Um, any, uh, a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Mm -hmm. um, the Darjeeling Limited. Anything with Bill Murray, I, I, yeah. you know, it's got to get up there pretty fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd say those are, those are a few of my favorites. Yeah. I definitely would think that that's probably not a list most people would come up with. <laughs> what? That? American Beauty won the Oscar, like it won two Oscars. Yeah, but like a favorite movie, you know? I don't know. I, I do yeah, think some I, people, dude. I think that's. I think a lot of people. Some would have people American would have Beauty that as one of their favorite movies on their on their list. I suppose. Yeah. Well, or Lost in Translation. Yeah, I've not I've not actually seen that one, but I've I've heard people oh, like that one a lot. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, that is a good movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm sure. What else do I really like? 
I feel there are, there's, mm, I'll come back to you on this one. Yeah, that's good. Tell me about, well, now you've got to tell me yours. Because uh, you, you, you're like, they're, they're so terrible. No, I, I mean, one, let's, let's encourage some two-star reviews. <laughs> yeah, this one, uh, uh, Meet Joe Black, is, is probably, these two movies. Really? Yeah. Isn't this like the most forgettable 90s movie yeah, ever made? Like, this, I'm fairly sure I've seen it, two, but I remember nothing about it. Wasn't he a ghost? Yeah, kind of. The two that are my top are two that like, I think, oh yeah, that's all right. And then I watched them and I was like, that is an amazing movie. I love that movie. Uh, and it's Meet Joe Black and then Bicentennial Man with uh, Robin Williams. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like, if you I really, because like I've like known no one else who likes, everyone else is like these two movies. Both of those movies are like, put you to sleep fast type movies. But no. I love both of those movies. They're amazing. I like is the Bicentennial Man's the one where he's trying to become a human the, yeah. whole, the whole time, right? Yeah, he, no, this was great. No, I and really he was amazing that. in that movie. Um, and that's, I think that was one of his earlier ones where he was taking a serious role rather than a comedy. Um, yeah, great movies, I feel like. And then uh, and then probably like a, the next up would probably be like It's a Wonderful Life, which actually people, a lot of people probably like that one. Uh, uh, I've that never in. seen that. Yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> I feel like only Simon will feel good about Bicentennial Man, but would never seen a wonderful uh, yeah. life. Yeah, I will say Meet Joe Black. There's like, two or three songs from the soundtrack, which is kind of variations of the same thing. Amazing songs. They're just uh, instrumental. Um, uh, Thomas Newman, I think. Um, he has a lot of good, oh, he has a lot of good stuff. The, uh, if you look he at- He did the American Beauty soundtrack. Did he? Because yeah, he has so yeah. much good stuff. And, there, and uh, there's, yeah, um, look it up. I want to watch Bicentennial Man again. Wow, 20 years old. Did you know that? Really? How crazy is that? No, wait, Thomas Newman also did Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Huh. huh. I'm sure there's some good movies. Oh, hang on. You know where you can find these? I bet 10 years ago on Facebook. Oh, yeah. I don't really are... use Facebook anymore. But they'll list your uh, what your favorite movies were back in the day. Let me see. Yeah, so Mitchell, you're right. American Beauty. Uh, yeah, he has so many good good songs from his Road to Perdition. It's got great. Oh, Finding Nemo, too. The Lemony Snicket ones, that's the, the series of unfortunate events. I don't actually like that movie at all. I like elements of it, but I, I didn't, the way they did it. But that, he has a couple little themes from that, that movie that just like make the movie worth watching just to listen to the music part of it. Thomas Newman's very good. The American Beauty soundtrack I like. I will check out Mitro Black. Yeah, you can definitely hear it once you, once you hear a lot of his stuff. Like he, he repeats a lot of the same kind of variations on the same stuff in a lot of his stuff, but it's, it's really good. Mm. Oh, Shawshank Redemption, another one that has a great soundtrack. That's a good movie. Yeah. Hey, okay, There's here's a couple of movies, uh, which we talked about before. Back to the Future. Yeah, great. Absolute winner. Yeah. That's up there. The, uh, American Psycho, uh, that's also up there for me. Oh, I've not seen uh, that. And then American Beauty and Lost in Translation are the movies on my... Uh, for some reason, Back to the Future's on there twice. Oh, and Back to the Future 2. Yeah. So two Back to the Future movies, not three. And... Uh, American Psycho, American Beauty, and Lost in Translation. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. Great movies. Yeah. Great movies. So you should watch uh, Meet Joe Black and then put yourself to sleep. The last person I recommended Meet Joe Black okay. to, I literally said, this is going to put you to sleep. And I kid you not, within 10 minutes, she was asleep. <laughs> like out All right. completely. And it was hilarious. Uh, but it worked. So that was that was funny. But it's a good movie. No, it's such, I love everything about that movie. The soundtrack, The I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Um, every, everything about it. So, uh, Anthony Hopkins is amazing in it. All the actors, even the minor characters, just nail their parts. Uh, and yeah, it's great. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to call it a day yeah. there. I got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. 
Good to talk to you. Mm -hmm. I suppose our next recording will be after you've moved house. It will be. uh, So it might be a little delay, but people should be used to that by now. (laughs) They most definitely are used to that. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you when I talk to you then. All right. Bye. Smart move, Tootsie Toy.